Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here, on a dish, the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a dish and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So tonight, as Dave said, we're going to be uh, looking at the last in our series uh, from Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to be focusing uh, particularly on the theme of vulnerability. And I'm thinking, feeling a little bit vulnerable at the moment because the lectern's like three million miles away, so I can't lean on it if I start wobbling on my high heels. Uh, and also, I forgot to take my dangly earrings out tonight. So if they start bashing the microphone, uh, just uh, wave at me or something and I'll take them out. So vulnerability. Uh, for centuries, Vulnerability has been seen as a really negative trait, hasn't it? If you go back to the root uh, of what vulnerability uh, means, uh, if you look at the Latin, if you're any Latin scholars here tonight, then actually it comes uh, from the meaning open to wound. It means woundedness, vulnerability. It's about being wounded. Now, for those of us uh, who are Gen Xers, uh, born between the mid-60s and mid-80s, give me a wave if you're a Gen Xer. Yeah, hello, fellow Gen Xers. Nice to see you tonight. Um, for us, people, uh, we don't like being vulnerable. It's not actually a good thing at all in our lives. It, it's at odds with the society and the ideology and the worldview uh, that we were brought up with and that we have lived most of our lives with. We were taught to be strong and resilient, um, you know, compliant uh, and private. And, you know, oversharing is not really necessary in our worlds. Uh, we, we're always comparing ourselves to others around around us too, and lots of us are quite competitive. And I wonder whether as well, for those of us who are women, female Gen Xers, uh, we're even more um, proud not to be vulnerable. Uh, and I think that's because uh, women Gen Xers have constantly been trying to break through uh, the glass ceiling in the workplace and in our family lives as well, uh, trying to balance career and families. Uh, and in this environment, vulnerability isn't an option. Because we uh, have been brought up in a world where we're always trying to prove ourselves uh, to keep up with the blokes, to try and get our position in society, to be recognized as leaders and to prove our worth. And I find that quite helpful for me when I think about how I am in relation to vulnerability. 
And yet, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be listening to a TED talk or a sermon or even in a conversation with somebody, and uh, they're, they're sharing something really interesting. But their point or their theme is brought fully alive when they suddenly start being vulnerable and perhaps sharing a story from their own life. It almost, almost authenticates then the point that they're trying to make. I had an experience of this a few years ago. I was at a big Christian camp and I was listening to this uh, woman and she was talking about suffering. And it was a pretty good talk. It wasn't anything outstanding. But then she started to tell a story from her own life. Uh, And she just sort of stopped in the middle of the stage and started to tell us about how one day she had been giving her friend and her friend's little toddler daughter uh, a lift somewhere. And and the story went on and eventually they were involved in a horrendous car accident and she was driving the car and her friend's daughter was killed in the car that she was driving. And she spoke with such vulnerability uh, about that experience and the guilt that she carried and the suffering that her, her friend obviously had gone through and she'd gone through herself as well and that vulnerability brought real authenticity to what she was sharing from the bible about suffering dave thinks that it's absolutely hilarious uh, that he has put me down to do this talk Uh, and the reason being is that he reckons that for the first six months that I worked at this church I've only worked here for about 10 months um, I was not able to be vulnerable it wasn't part of my makeup and to some extent I wouldn't like to agree with him entirely uh, to some extent he is right I don't find vulnerability vulnerability, uh, very easy it's not sort of naturally how I am Um, I don't always want people to see my insides they're not always a pretty place to be but I also know that there's a place for vulnerability and there's an appropriate context for it and ultimately I believe that it can help me become more of the person that God created me to be as I put Jesus more in the driving seat of my life as I allow him to know me and to be known by him as well And then what about those of you who are here tonight and would class yourselves as millennials? You're probably sat there thinking, what on earth is your problem with vulnerability? You know, vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a strength. It's empowering. You know, if you're vulnerable, you're going to get ahead in society and in the workplace. It's a good thing. If you look at talent shows like The X Factor and Britain's Got Talent and stuff like that, you often find that when a person is vulnerable and they start to share a story from their life, that suddenly like their voting goes up massively. We love a good bit of a story of somebody's life, don't we? And you millennials, um, you know, you're often classed and, and, and labelled as the vulnerable generation. You want to be authentic. You love authenticity. You want to be yourselves. You want to bring everything out into the open in every aspect of your lives. And you're also known as the I generation as well. I'm sure you know that. And so vulnerability and connectedness go hand in hand, don't they? We share our lives. We share the highs and the lows and the everyday of our lives. Uh, We put things out there on our social media profiles. We want people to know the person behind the picture. And maybe at the end of the day, it's all down to that innate desire within each of us to be known and to know other people truly. If we want to be in relationship, if we want to know others, 
then that can only take place if we're willing to be vulnerable in some way and to allow others and God into our lives. So we're going to explore this a little bit further tonight, looking at the passage uh, that Emily read to us from Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to look at the three characters that really came out in that story. We're going to look at Herod, we're going to look at John the Baptist, and we're going to look at Jesus and the way that they were vulnerable in their lives. So first of all, Herod. Herod's vulnerability is actually seen as weakness here. Um, Herod, um, Herod the king um, is not this Herod, okay? Herod the king was the one that was around uh, when Jesus was born and he murdered all the little babies, okay? Uh, but Matthew records that this is Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, and he is the son of the other Herod, and he's just like some minor local ruler, and he has a bit of a power complex. Uh, he's previously stolen and married his half-brother Philip's wife, uh, conveniently called Herodias. Uh, and so he is blatantly breaking the Jewish law. And by default, he's actually almost caused a war with Herodias's father, who was the king of Petra. That sort of goes by the by. Um, and he's made himself really unpopular, basically, with everybody with everybody in that society, but most prominently, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has taken it upon himself uh, to challenge Herod's sinfulness. John has challenged Herod in his most vulnerable place, in the area of his life where Herod knows deep down that he's wrong. And that's the adultery that he's committed with his brother's wife, where everyone knows he's wrong. And so John the Baptist is challenging Herod, Herod's moral choice, and is undermining Herod's power and authority publicly. Matthew records in the reading in verse 5 that Herod wanted to kill John uh, uh, to get him out of the way. But he doesn't do so initially because of this. It says in our reading, he is afraid of the people in verse 5. He needs the people's support uh, to retain his position of power. And if he kills John, then he's killing the people's choice. He's killing their hero, the one who is starting to stir up a whole generation of people uh, in the region at the time. And so here is Herod, uh, a person of power. And yet he's vulnerable. And he's hugely aware of his own vulnerability as well. The power he has is constantly balancing on a knife edge. He's vulnerable because he's afraid and he wants to keep his position of power. And John is threatening that. And he's very aware that his power could be taken away at any time. And I was thinking about this in relation to our times at the moment, particularly Donald Trump, because he's been on our news a lot lately, whether you like it or not, uh, and so many others that have appeared through the annals of history who have fought their way to power over the centuries. Their power is dependent completely on their popularity. They're vulnerable in the extreme to the power of the media turning against them, to changes in public opinion, to the weakness of their own morality and character. And so you see people like, Trench, uh, like Trump entrench their position by saying what the people want to hear. And perhaps in Herod's case, particularly using a fear as a weapon of control and power over the people. And so Herod is weak. 
And he's so swayed by what others think. He's so keen to impress that all those character flaws, all those weaknesses that he has diverge in this evening uh, of drunken debauchery that, and, and drunken pleasure that we heard about in our reading and became John the Baptist's death sentence. It's Herod's birthday and his stepdaughter Salome, Herodias's daughter, gives Herod a birthday gift. It's a dance uh, that it appears is stun- a stunning and seductive dance. And Herod gets caught up in the moment and he's egged on by all the people that were there, his courtiers. And Herod makes this ridiculous oath. And he promises his stepdaughter that as her reward for her dance, maybe to impress the people there of his wealth, he says, you can have anything you want, anything, anything you want. And so she goes and consults her mother. And then she comes back with the request that she wants the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And Herod is too weak. And his position is too vulnerable to resist her request. And so we might look at Herod and think, what a pathetic, weak man he was. And he was in many ways. But I think it raises the questions for me and I suspect for many of us here too. Where are we weak and vulnerable in that negative sense? Where are our weaknesses lying unchecked to the point that they could start to fester and grow and become our downfall? Is our weakness our addiction to something? Or perhaps how we handle stress or don't handle stress at all. Maybe what we watch on the TV or the internet. Maybe it's a particular relationship. Or maybe not necessarily something you're doing, but the the ways that you think about things as well. I know of Christian leaders over the years who have been highly influential, who God has used in incredibly powerful ways. And yet they haven't sought out places where, uh, and people with whom they can be real and vulnerable with. And so over the time, their weaknesses have remained unchecked. And when their defenses are down, they become vulnerable uh, and they become another statistic of another Christian leader whose marriage has failed or they've messed up in some way because they weren't willing to share their weaknesses, their vulnerability with other people. So they became vulnerable in a different way. Are we willing to be vulnerable enough to acknowledge our own weaknesses? Then we get to John. John the Baptist is who he is. He's like the ultimate, like alternative hippie guy. Uh, You know, if you can spend your days hanging out in the wilderness by the River Jordan, wearing a sort of designer outfit of camel skin held together by a cool leather belt, eating locusts and wild honey, you're not afraid, are you, of what others think about you? When John enters the scene, the mood in Israel at the time is one of complete revolution. People are stirred up. You know, they've had enough. They're wanting wanting to escape the Roman occupation. They want their land back. And they've come out to the River Jordan to hear John's message. And ultimately, many people believe that John could be the Messiah. John could be the one that they've been waiting for, the one they've been longing for, the one prophesied about in the Old Testament who's going to rescue them from the oppression that they've been living under and give them their land back. And John could have just ridden on this wave of popularity and success. But here is a man who is sure of who he is. He is authentic. 
He is a man of integrity who knows his place. And so John makes it clear that he is not the one that they've been waiting for. The one prophesied, but instead he's the one prophesied through the Old Testament. In Malachi 3 verse 1, God says, See, I send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. John's mission was to prepare the way for Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about him uh, as a a voice of one calling in the desert. "Prepare, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John knows that he's playing his part in God's divine plan when he says, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than than me, whose thongs of the sandals I'm not worthy to tie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's mission is not about him. It's not about his glory or his power, his fame or his position. But John was the messenger before the Messiah. John is calling people to make themselves ready to meet with Jesus, to make themselves completely vulnerable, to confess their sins, to pass through those waters of baptism. And those people that were gathering there at the River Jordan, this made sense to them. They, they could go to the temple in Jerusalem. They could repent of their sins and, and do the acts of atonement. But what is happening with John at the river, Jordan, makes sense to them because these people knew their history. And once before they've been in this place, they were in Egypt and they had to go through water, through the Red Sea, in order to be rescued from the old life of slavery, to go to a new life and a new land. And so the people are excited. They're ready for what lies beyond the river Jordan. As they go through those waters and they repent of their sins, they're expectant of what lies on the other side, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And so John has put himself in an exposed and vulnerable position too. He's living a completely authentic life of faith where his words and actions and beliefs are completely in line. And it's because of this And the belief in the role that he has been called to do to bring people to repentance because the kingdom of God is near. That ultimately, he finds himself being executed by Herod. If you look through uh, the pages of history, anyone has been used radically as a disciple of Jesus to transform a corner of his world has had to make themselves vulnerable in some way. They've had to give of themselves completely to God and to other people. Uh, Simon Gillibar, many of you will have heard of, is a a missionary in Burundi. And he poses this question, which I think is relevant to all of us. Am I prepared to allow God to help himself to me? Or am I simply consumed with what I want to make of my life? I'll just read that again. Am I prepared to allow God to help himself to me? Or am I simply consumed with what I want to make of my life? John the Baptist was completely surrendered to God. And when you surrender yourself, you recognize that you're defeated. You've acknowledged your weaknesses. You've made yourself vulnerable. And you've put God in charge. And lastly, we get to Jesus and Jesus' vulnerability. John has been beheaded by Herod, 
and the news is brought to Jesus by his disciples. And there's no record in Matthew's gospel of Jesus wanting to run and wail uh, or ask, what on earth has happened? How could this happen? But Matthew simply puts it like this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. We see here the stripped back humanity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is divine. God become flesh, majestic and miracle worker, the one who has the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, the one who has the right more than any other to call God Father. And yet here he is in his complete humanity. And in his humanity, we find his vulnerability. On hearing this terrible news of John's death, in his grief, Jesus' reaction is just to take himself off to be on his own with his father. And I find it really fascinating that Matthew, the gospel writer, would think it was important enough to record such a small thing in this gospel that he wrote a few years after the event itself. And yet a number of times across the gospels, we hear the gospel writers writing about Jesus' vulnerability. It's such an important part of who Jesus is. Jesus wept. In fact, at least three times, he cries in front of his disciples. Numerous times when he's had enough of whatever is going on, he takes himself off to a lonely place to pray. He faces real temptation. And most startling in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he gets closer to his own torture and death, which he knows is lying ahead. He doesn't hide his fears from his disciples, wanting to bolster their confidence in those last days. He pleads with his friends. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is perfectly God and he's perfectly human. And in that humanity, he's not afraid to let other people see who he really is. He's not afraid to expose his heart, to share his deepest fears and his sadness at the situations that he encounters. Jesus' vulnerability allowed him to know others and to be known himself by those he spent his time with. We see his anger and his tears, his fear and his sadness. We see his compassion and his love, his desire for transformation. We see his heart expressed through the words uh, that, he, that he says, but also through his actions and emotions as well. His vulnerability is a window into the character and the heart of God. And it reveals more to us of what it means to know God and what it also means for us to be human. And Jesus' vulnerability is from an authentic place. It's not about some like self-centered, uh, self-indulgent weakness. But it's about being sure enough of who he is. Jesus, God, the Son of God, secure enough in his purpose that he's able to be known fully and openly. Brenny Brown, in her, uh, one of her TED Talks on vulnerability, said this. Most people believe vulnerability is weakness, but really vulnerability is courage. We must ask ourselves, are we willing to be shown up and seen, to show up and be seen? Are we willing to show up and be seen? Jesus, God incarnate, was willing to show up and be seen. 
He became vulnerable enough to be nailed to a cross, taking our sin and our fear to be known uh, uh, upon himself. He paid the price for our freedom. He then rose again and he conquered death so that we could be completely known by him, so that we could know the Father. And this is what Jesus did for you and for me. And some of us here tonight just need to be uh, vulnerable enough, to be courageous enough to allow God to come and meet us, to allow God to challenge us in our own weaknesses and to mold us and shape us into the people that he has designed us to be, for the, to be the people that Jesus died on the cross for. When was the last time that you perhaps allowed somebody to pray for you? that you actually said, I need some prayer in this area of our lives? Have you got people in your life that you can be real with, that you can be weak with, that you can be authentic with, that you can share life with, who you'll allow to call you out on those areas of life that you struggle with? Do we need to be vulnerable enough to receive love and forgiveness in a new way, that love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on the cross? I think that lastly, some of us need to be, become vulnerable to allow God to do some work of transformation and healing within our own lives too. And we'll have a moment to be able to think about that a little bit later on in the service. Uh, when I was 22, I was working in a church as a youth worker and uh, things were good. I loved my job. Uh, I loved the place I was living. I loved the young people that I was working with every day. And I think people thought I was quite good at my job, you know, I was quite competent, I did stuff all right, I didn't mess up too many times. I was basically a smiley, happy person for Jesus. But underneath all the gloss, things weren't always exactly as they appeared. Um, I was feeling a little bit rubbish and insecure, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on, on why I was feeling like this. While I, all this was happening, um, I got to know somebody within the church uh, who was extremely intuitive and wise. And one day I found myself sat at their kitchen table drinking another cup of tea uh, with them. And we got on to the subject of my family, which is rather complicated. One of the things uh, that was quite raw for me at that time uh, was the effect that my sister had on me. Uh, it's an extremely long and complicated and sordid story, uh, and there's enough in it to do sermon illustrations for the next 25 years, and I'm not going to keep going on for 25 years now, but just briefly. I have an adopted sister, um, and as she grew up, she turned out to be a complete nightmare. Uh, and by the age of 15, she'd got fully and truly involved in uh, prostitution and hardcore drugs. And for four years in my late teens and early 20s, uh, life had been really tough for us in our family. And uh, especially for myself and my mum who were at home at the time, as we desperately tried to help my sister on her sort of single-minded course of destruction that she decided on. And alongside that, we were trying to live with somebody who was highly destructive as well. And she was destructive on herself, but also everybody that came into contact with her or tried to help her in any way as well. And I didn't mind telling my friend as we sat around that table drinking a cup of tea about a little bit about uh, this part of my life. But as she began to ask questions and I began to recall just some of the particularly horrid events, 
I started to feel really quite sick. Um, I was in a safe place telling her. My sister was hundreds of miles away. She couldn't get at me. But that familiar fear was there for me. I'd allowed myself at that kitchen table to become vulnerable. And it had opened a door into memories that I'd pushed down out of the way because they were a bit too difficult to deal with. And then she said, you know, do you know, I think that we need to pray through some of these things, Libby, uh, and allow uh, you to see where Jesus was in some of the darkest places that you went with your sister. And some of the places and the situations I'd been in with her were so dark, I couldn't even imagine that God was there in those moments. But I thought, you know, what the heck? I've started spilling my guts anyway. We might as well uh, bring it to God and God can make it better. And so we began a process. Uh, we, there was somebody else that came and joined us who uh, was experiencing this way of prayer. And we started to bring some of uh, my memories before God. And I began to see Jesus in some of those memories that I had. I saw Jesus in the police cell uh, where I sat with my sister after she'd been arrested again in another drugs raid. I saw Jesus in the hallway of our home as my sister tried to steal from us again and was violent uh, towards us. I found Jesus crouching next to me on the kitchen floor that night when I sat there thinking, I just can't take any more of this. It's going to kill me. Jesus breathed love and hope into my memories. And it was like I was liberated uh, from the fear that they conjured up in me previously. I'd allowed myself to be vulnerable, to be known, and God had transformed that part of my life. Holy vulnerability flows from the security of knowing who we are in Christ. And for me, I found that being vulnerable actually enabled me to be more effective then later on in sharing Christ's love with the young people that I work with then and also in my future work as well. And so I just want to end uh, with John Wesley's covenant prayer. It's a prayer that's about total surrender. It's about total vulnerability. A prayer that I'm sure that if it had been written when John John the Baptist was alive, it would have been his prayer. It's a prayer of authentic faith. And it's a prayer that I learned when I first felt God was calling me uh, to some sort of service of him. It's a prayer of the vulnerable. And I'm just going to read it to you now. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whoever you will. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. And now, O Father, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant I am making on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.